0: did you tell me you worked at innovation place
1: yes what do yeah. you do there so i'm a mechanical engineer uh, <laughs> uh, working with a uh, consulting firm called kinemic design works so we're a super small firm uh, we do kind of work with mining and agriculture industries and it's just whatever the client wants so anything from like lab equipment to sensors for the mine shafts to determine mine shaft integrity doing extractors for bits from like mining machines and i'm not involved with the agricultural side so much uh, And so what's your main role uh, i'm a design engineer so uh, i've worked on projects with the mining side uh, right now i'm working on one of those mineshaft integrity devices that i kind of talked about so it's going to be this <laughs> electrified cart with a lift on it and a uh, a GPR system, uh, ground penetrating radar, uh, that is it. It allows them to see where different clay seams are. They need to know where the clay seams are because that impacts the strength of the mine. So if they mine too close, or they'll have to put in extra bolts to support the mine. Uh, that sort of thing so they need to know just so that the mine doesn't collapse it's really interesting from what i hear is that the shafts are kind of always collapsing in on themselves it's just in a they remove whatever earth they remove and uh the, the the earth just wants to collapse in on itself
0: yeah that's what i heard from a miner i had on i think a few weeks ago okay yeah said, mother nature wants to heal up the same as you exactly you get a cut yes and they're putting bolts in and it can shift so much so you're on that side
1: of it i haven't personally been we just provide the system that allows them to determine that so this is an electrified cart for this particular client yes so what
0: exactly does it do how does it work
1: uh so it's just there's a a motor with batteries that basically allows them to drive it through the shaft uh so it's just rather than typically like the original system uh would have been on a utv so it would have been gas powered uh, and then we had hydraulics for that and so rather than having gas uh clients are wanting to electrify things now so shifting to more electric based systems when did that shift start happening for you guys this is the first project I'm aware of. Uh, so uh, I guess this would have been within the past uh, kind of year, two years. I i don't know 100% when uh, we would have, or when my boss would have started having kind of conversations with the client. Yeah. So what do you have to take into account with electricity compared to running it on fuel? The The big trouble there is that, I mean, with the mines, they want to run stuff all the time, right? So... Uh, like having a, a system that only runs for kind of two, three hours is challenging when they want to do eight hours of work. So, uh, one of the things is, uh, is being able to kind of like, how do you make it last longer? Like, do you swap out batteries or how do you deal with the, the batteries there? It's also a problem. Like if, if they drive the cart all the way down to the end of the mine shot, cha- uh, mine shaft, and then it dies on them, like, how do they get it back? So that's kind of more the the troubles there, or like like let's say like they want to go and do some surveying, and uh, the cart's dead because no one decided to charge it. Uh, so it's those are are some of the issues that we more i would say run into with the electrical side of things over over gases uh it's dependent on on i guess forgetfulness and that sort of thing (laughs) (laughs) it's dependent on
0: humans doing what they're supposed to be doing yes yeah so how do you account for that
1: for this one we're looking at um doing a a kind of a quick change system and, and that sort of thing for the batteries uh so allowing them to have Um, a, A secondary set of batteries that's charged off the cart and then they can just swap those in What happens with that scenario where they go to the dead end and they run out of juice? Uh, well, I guess they'd have to have the batteries with them or they'd have to have a vehicle that they could run and grab the batteries to bring them back to then do the quick swap out. I think uh, that would be the, kind of the solution <laughs> there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a simple solution but requires a lot more
0: manpower to do it. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Electrification's an interesting problem. Yeah.
1: So what is a challenging project you've been on lately? One of the more interesting ones lately... Um, it's kind of been on and off. It's uh, for the veterinary college, actually. Uh, they they do CT scans on horses. Uh, and their way of getting the horse to the CT machine is to have it, they have it on a surgery table, on a mat, and then they have 12 veterinarians or or assistants and they hoist it onto the table with uh, manpower and just kind of drag this horse on there and then uh, prep it for the CT machine and, and uh, scan what they need to scan. That's been one of the more interesting projects to work on from a, a standpoint of we need to come up with something that allows them to freely position it with hopefully one person two people kind of thing just cut down on manpower make it a lot safer for <laughs> everyone involved for the horse too uh,
0: <laughs> anything below
1: 12 humans
0: involved <laughs> yeah yeah
1: and make it faster for them as well right as well as uh they want to put the uh the horse onto the CT table and then that actually moves towards the CT machine so the CT machine stays in place but then the table moves the horse through the machine uh, and so we need to have a way to lock the the table that they're going to move the horse, uh, like what the device we create for them to move the horse onto the CT table. We need a way to lock that down securely so that it moves as one with the CT table rather than uh, shifting around. And that locking system has to be free form, like it can't be uh, notched or anything like that. Like you can't have it clip into certain spots because... I mean, that would require you to get our device in the exact same spot every single time, which is, is probably pretty difficult when you're dealing with a 900 kilogram horse. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do to, to make it so it clips in? So we were looking at uh, basically friction devices. Uh, so different materials and things that we can do to kind of wedge the table and lock it down on the, on the table for, from that front. So give me an example. How's this working? Very kind of sticky pads. So then it can hold to the table and we have, uh, kind of little plugs that interlock with the table, uh, and can kind of engage in the table in that sense so that they lock into the table and then they Fixed to the table so it's pretty much a beefed up hook and loop system i yeah that'd be one way of thinking of it yeah yeah and it's also the part of our intent of the design too is that if the table tries to shift by the table pushing on it it actually would increase the resistance so it like as the table tries to move it's gonna be able to better resist the table moving as long as it's moving in that certain plane. Yeah, yeah. So any direction that the table would try to move in, it would resist it more. Yeah. So what's the most enjoyable aspect of your job? I would say like the variety in the design. Like there's a lot of creativity in this, right? So uh, you, someone comes to you with a problem and you're very much forced to think outside of the box because it's like, oh, well, how do I do this? No one's telling you how to do it. You have to come up with that way and you have to uh, figure out what's the best way going to be to solve this problem. And um, sometimes you've done similar things before, so you can apply that. Other times you're kind of brainstorming with a couple other people to try to figure out what's what you can do to, here to solve the problem in a way that's relatively simple and straightforward, easy to use, not challenging to build or anything like that. Uh, so there's... That That is probably the most enjoyable aspect is uh, trying to think out how all of that works. So the problem solving aspect of it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So yeah. what's a problem that got solved in an unexpected way for you?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't know that I can think of anything off the top of my head that reminds me of that at the moment. So they all go seamlessly? Well, <laughs> that's putting it too simply. <laughs>
0: well, I don't know. I don't know if anything comes to mind.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, it's it's one of those classic things of uh, you're you can spend all the time in the world looking at something on a computer and uh, staring at the drawings of it and uh, thinking about it on paper, and then they'll finally machine it and the tolerances or something like you goofed somewhere and something doesn't fit together. And so you either have to uh, get it remachined out or uh, like that sort of thing. I, like, I mean, uh, this isn't with my current position, but in university I was on a student team uh, where we built, um, it was called uh, Mini Baja SAE, uh, Society of Automotive Engineers. And so it's essentially a single seater side by side. Uh, that we the, we were building from scratch as a student team and one of the most memorable ones I would say from there for me was we had our steering knuckle and we had a, a bolt that was inside um, a machined pocket uh, now it was it was great the bolt the well the nut that was in there fit in the pocket perfectly like no problems at all uh, it gets machined we go to assemble it You can't get a wrench
0: in there. Oh, a little too perfect. (laughs) Yeah,
1: but it's it's not tight enough that it captures the nut, so the nut can spin freely. But you can't get a wrench in there to hold it still to tighten it down. So our solution as students was to take washers and shim the washers in the side uh so that it was it was captured that way and that when you turned it from uh the bolt from underneath that the the oh, nut jammed on top that nut. exactly yeah. it was captured so those are some of the unique kind of problems where things don't go to go to plan i guess yeah modern um, problems require modern solutions yeah I, I gotcha. yeah yeah exactly because <laughs> it's one thing to to design your parts it's another thing to to fit them together and that's that's to me one of the beautiful things of engineering is when you can see all the parts you've designed come together seamlessly Um, and it's it speaks to being able to nail the tolerances and it's it's kind of i attribute the feeling to when you order something online i don't know any sort of like kit like an ikea furniture kit or something like that and it just it works it all fits together it all bolts up simply Uh, And it's, that's one of the great joys when you're doing something for the first time and it it just, it works. (laughs) It all, it all just goes together. How often does that happen for you? Ah, that's hard to say. Um, It's like, it's not necessarily consistent because you'll have some things that go perfectly, like one part of a project that goes perfectly. And then another part of that system that is just a nightmare to deal with. So, it's not like everything like you have one project that goes perfectly, and then the next one is just a nightmare. They're all different and special in their own unique ways. I guess it depends on maybe how familiar you are with it or how cognizant you were of of certain things right like you make one mistake you uh you make a a pocket big enough for a a nut but not big enough for the wrench (laughs) and you remember not to do that again (laughs) (laughs) but there's so many other mistakes that you can make that you might nail that the next time but then you'll forget something totally different like now I don't have enough space to actually get this bolt through this hole because I'm blocked on this other end. Oh, no! Or something like that, right? Like, there's a million ways for things to go wrong. Yeah, what's
0: a nightmare project you recall?
1: (laughs) I mean, the worst experience I would have said I had was, like, actually my capstone project in engineering. Uh, We were building a a cooling tower, which is, or, well, prototype cooling tower. They wanted us to basically show off uh, kind of a perfect combination of technologies for cooling towers. And a cooling tower is basically what they would use uh, for a, like, heating and ventilation system of a building. Uh, so it it sprays water over exposed pipes, and then that allows them to to cool things down, to cool the air down and and uh, use it as a heat exchanger of sorts, right? That was kind of the, the nastiest project i worked on because uh, we built the frame out of T-slot, uh, so like extruded aluminum, uh, and then you can it's basically called? slide T-, T what T slot. Usually it's an extruded aluminum, and then you can slide nuts in. Uh, like if you've ever seen um, in different machine shop settings, they'll have uh, kind of the slots, and it's shaped like a T, and you'll have special nuts that kind of fill that profile, and so you can slide it in, and then you have a way to bolt things down to that that face. Uh, so the the extruded profiles are nice because it's it's a square and you have that profile on all four sides of it. So you can slide in whatever nuts, bolts, hardware, um, brackets, all that sort of thing. So it's very nice and very modular. And uh, because it's just bolted down, you can slide things anywhere along the rail. So it's very adjustable and it's very nice to work with for any sort of prototyping, building frames, that sort of thing. So you got a square or you have a cube
0: on a rail that has holes in on each side of it that you can put bolts
1: in? Not quite. It's, um, so it's like, a, it's like a long tube. Okay. Uh, the tube itself is square and it's got a profile in each side that runs the length of the tube. If you imagine just like a flat piece, you can slide it in and it kind of interlocks. Oh, when you say profile, you
0: mean sort of a, a groove that allows exactly. to go through. Okay. Yeah. That's what a profile yeah. is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> it's got a, a T profile, Uh T <laughs> Oh, groove, T. Oh, I gotcha. Groove okay. in it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that allows... So the nut pulls against that T-profile, so it can't pull out. Uh, So then you can bolt things to the face of all four sides of it, uh, including other rails so you can make, like, shapes out of it and and that sort of thing. So it's really nice and modular that way. Uh, And so we made the frame of it out of that, and then we had some um, metal panels that we got. I think we plasma cut them, Uh, and then we bolted those up. So we had a nice enclosure for it. We need the water in it, and... We had a a heat exchanger that a sponsor provided us. Um, So we were using that. We had nozzles and stuff like that that would spray over this heat exchanger, and we'd run water through the heat exchanger to uh, see the temperature in, the temperature out, to kind of demonstrate this and and, uh, proving kind of the technologies that we were incorporating into it. Um, But now the the issue with T-Slot is there's lots of holes everywhere, right? So... (laughs) It wasn't very well sealed. And so the first trial run, we weren't thinking about that. So there was water everywhere. And then we waited for the system to dry and and we took caulking and sealed absolutely everything. Or so we thought. (laughs) Um, We did another test and it was leaking everywhere again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that was not so fun of a project because it was like it just wasn't working out uh and we ended up i think we just put a plastic tub in the base uh to collect the water instead of uh actually making it as intended where the whole thing was designed to to hold water and so it wasn't a closed system anymore it was leaking but
0: it was still enough water through for the heat to exchange
1: yeah yeah well, and we we designed it, like we basically modified our inside so that we used a a plastic tub that could catch all the water so that it it did become a closed system again. but then we just in like put in like a I think we used a piece of plywood uh, to basically guide all the water into this plastic tub that we put in there so that it was more or less closed that there wasn't any leaks anymore. Was this all behind a curtain, so nobody could see it or? Well, yeah, we would have had to show it off, but thankfully we were saved by COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so we were having these issues in like February or whatever, February, maybe first week of March. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the university shut down, uh, I think first or second week of March and, uh, we never had to see it again. Oh, <laughs> very <man>. thankfully. <laughs> oh, man. So what did you learn from that mistake? Um... Well, I mean, a lot of things, like waterproofing is very challenging. (laughs) Sealing anything is very challenging, right? Uh, To make sure that water dust isn't getting in or out. uh, It's a very challenging process. So I think that was kind of one of the big lessons learned there. And uh, just, yeah, I think we just needed to do a lot more due diligence. We were just very quick to, I think, move through the process rather than thinking things through fully. And... uh, that might have been a little bit of of just kind of like we had to get things done. We had other classes going on. So you're not able to put the full time into this that it deserves to do a detailed considerations and all that sort of thing. So that deadline really hurt you. I guess so. Yeah, it probably did. And well, it doesn't help that you're doing however many other classes with labs, homework, all that sort of thing at the same time. So you've got a lot to to manage all at once. Uh, Not to mention that you have different reporting periods and stuff like that for the the Capstone project as you're going along through the year. What's the reporting period? Basically, by the end of the year, we had to do a full report on our project. And so they had different milestones where uh, you would have to meet with your supervisor, I guess. Uh, You had a prof that kind of supervised your project. And so you would have to meet with them at different points along the year. Uh, to make sure that you're keeping up to certain milestone markers. So there's kind of pressure put on those as well, because you had to make a presentation like this is what's going on, this is where we're at, this is how things are going. So you had those presentations and you'd get feedback from those. And we had a, a report at in the middle of the year, um, and then we had our our final report as well, which would was everything as well. and And there's the milestone markers in between the the midterm report and the final report as well how did you get through all those milestones uh <laughs> we we made it <laughs> it's it's a little fuzzy now i remember it was very stressful and we were never quite sure how we would do on some of those but we would i guess we'd have enough to present or we'd be able to uh kind of justify where we were at and like kind of explain things and how we were gonna catch back up or or whatever. I don't necessarily remember No, I
0: meant with the water pressure where it's going to leak. Because you were presenting, you're telling them I'm gonna do it with these T slots. And nobody brought up that. Hey, you should think about sealing this.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I guess they didn't bring that up for us.
0: (laughs) They let it slide.
1: (laughs) So I mean that's where it's good to have multiple minds because hopefully something someone (laughs) catches stuff like that. But yeah with these projects things do slide sometimes <laughs> yeah. and that was one example of it and i don't know if if they are just uh yeah we didn't accurately explain it to them or or they didn't think of it and we didn't think of it and everyone just kind of lapsed on that but yeah that's a very good point i I, I was a learning experience about that. for everybody yeah 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 <laughs> I don't know how much we told them about that though. in <laughs> in comments made afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's an easy project you've done? I mean, the easiest ones are, are like, it's just, it's like, Oh, like we just need a, a spacer. It's gotta be like this tall. It's got a bolt to this frame and uh 3d print it. And so you just whip that up and, uh, send it off basically more or less and and i guess you have to check fits in there still but it's it's pretty easy because there's not a whole lot going there it's like we had a client that jerry-rigged something and then it's basically just like make what we jerry-rigged a like a real thing and it's like oh okay yeah no problem so that was that was easy because it's just more or less a cylinder (laughs) (laughs) he already
0: did the work for you you had to make it look clean
1: yeah exactly make it more of a a perfect like they were just kind of testing things on their end right they're like hey like does this work and it's like oh yeah it it works so it's like let's just actually like get an actual part for this rather than just (laughs) kind (laughs) of sticking a couple things together and calling it good yeah these pens springs and spoons we need
0: to do something else with this (laughs) yeah exactly yeah
1: so i would say that's kind of like the easy stuff but yeah so how do you come back from a big mistake yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I think it's just kind of a little bit human to beat yourself up when you make a mistake. Right. Um, and I know like certainly like earlier on, like on my internship in particular, like there's kind of very much felt that imposter syndrome, right? Where you're like, oh, I like, I, I'm not really like an engineer. I'm not really good. I don't really know what I'm doing here. How'd you get past the imposter syndrome? I think it was just kind of time and talking with others. Right. Like, cause when you realize your friends are kind of going through similar experiences and your parents in their careers even though it's totally different that they've done they've gone through similar moments that it's just kind of I guess part of almost growing up and like kind of growing into something Uh, as well as like when you're getting positive feedback from uh, like supervisors as well like in that one instance I just remember like uh, the, the one project like kind of design things and it just like you made something and wasn't really working but then like finally got something working and I'm like this is the best thing ever and so it's like well like at the end of the day like they were really happy with what I put out right and and so it's like I'm am filling a role here I'm very much doing my part I very much know what i'm doing it's just like yeah you can stack spend. in the evidence exactly for you yeah yeah you get the that positive feedback and it's like yeah yeah no i i do know what i'm doing and i i can help out <laughs> <laughs> it's strange though the more knowledge we have sometimes the less
0: confidence we have
1: yeah yeah there's the whole oh, i'm gonna get it wrong i think that's like called the dunning kruger uh effect yep. yeah yeah and it's you very much see that in, in everything and and i've experienced it in, in so many things as well right you're like oh yeah you have all this confidence and then eventually you hit a point where you're like oh man like i'm clueless <laughs> <laughs> when
0: was the last time your confidence got shook um
1: great question um I mean, to get, like, real personal, it was probably in in some, like, relationship stuff recently where it's, like, uh, the big thing for me was uh, kind of, I don't know. I, I I guess engineers have a way of communicating with each other that seems to fly in engineering communities, and I've only ever been around that through, like, my university career. So it ha- it's only been post-graduating that you've kind of experienced, like being with other people that aren't engineers and then uh like the way you talk interact with them comes across as being like antagonistic or um like yeah just difficult to deal with at times uh and so that was kind of because you're like oh yeah i got like i know how to make friends i know how to maintain relationships and then it's like, it's like, oh, <laughs> maybe not.
0: <laughs> when was that wake up moment?
1: Honestly, relatively recently, like uh, a few months ago, uh, like kind of, I, I guess kind of May, June-ish. Uh, yeah, June, I'd say. Uh, I kind of started, I uh, ha- had a comment from a, a friend and uh, I started actually attending like counseling, uh, which was really good i i spoke to my sister at one point and she's like she had just started counseling as well and and her comment, uh, like this is i guess before i started counseling but her comment was like we go to the doctor every year for a checkup but we don't go and get a checkup for our mental health or anything like that and so it's like oh yeah that's like that's pretty solid logic uh so started going into to counseling and um i was had an opportunity to explore some of these comments right and it was kind of very eye-opening when you're like oh it's like okay like I can I I understand how I'm antagonistic where like as an engineer you kind of like someone suggests one idea and then you suggest a totally different other idea and it's not that you didn't hear or you're ignoring this other person it's not that you're trying to um kind of shoot them down or or disregard their opinion exactly yeah you're not trying to shoot down their opinion disregard them at any sort of like that it's i would say the engineering kind of method of communication is you you pose two radically different ideas and because now they're out both out in the open you can kind of stare at both of them and be like well i like this part from here and i like this part from yours and you start kind of stitching them together and over time, you bring that back into a singular solution, a, a cohesive solution. I think the way conversation works for most other people is, is you say something and you go along with them. It's, it's someone states an opinion, whatever, and it's like, oh, like, why do you think that? Not like, oh, I think this. Like, you think that? I think this. Um, oh, you're not digging deeper. You're, you're putting your opinion out there, too yeah yeah so it's someone says their opinion you say yours and it's like well now let's explore both of these opinions together right versus someone states their opinion and it's like oh well well why do you think that like let's go deeper into that yeah that was kind of i guess eye-opening is kind (laughs) of realizing like oh i i've been kind of using one communication style that works in one situation and works because all the friends that I've grown up with, they all went into engineering. And so you're in this little bubble where everyone kind of understands or communicates the same way at the very least. And then you kind of move into a different bubble where some, some of those people are engineers and some of them aren't. And you got to recognize that you can't necessarily communicate the same way some people are uh like the engineers you're analytical and you say things with a purpose and other people say things because they they want to say them right it's it's not there's not a uh like an intention behind them uh so there's just a recognition i guess of the different communication styles when you're like ah communication was communication
0: (laughs) incorrect
1: yeah exactly (laughs) so what tools did the counselor give you I would say it's mostly just kind of been exploring ideas uh, and kind of just self-reflecting. And like with respect to this, it would have been, I think kind of the homework he gave me after that session was more or less like, oh, well, be cognizant of where you're maybe being antagonistic. It's monitoring when I guess you're, uh, you're throwing out your opinion, right? And like trying to dial that back and, like, recognize, like, oh, like, I don't really need to say that here. I don't need to do that. And like, let's, let's kind of go along and be cooperative and just kind of being mindful more of your interaction and stuff like that. How do you check yourself when you're doing this? It's hard. It's so hard. And that's where I ran into a very interesting idea of something like you should take. It was, it was exorbitant. I think it was, I think it was like 10 minutes for every hour to like reflect, (laughs) which I think there's wisdom in that to break down like your interactions with others and to be mindful of that. Right. To, uh, kind of explore like, like how did this go? Like, like what really happened here? Cause I think so much of conversation happens fast, right? Uh, that it's, there's a necessity to kind of slow down reflect on things afterwards and kind of evaluate that there and uh it's i mean it's helpful as well to have like my one friend that made the comment that like oh like you're antagonistic and it's like oh i wasn't aware of this you're i'm able to ask him it's like like do you like recently like have you felt that i've been antagonistic and it's like no like you're doing good um, so it's nice to have those checkups and then very much kind of like reflecting and thinking on like situations where you may have, right? So that's where, uh, like this one friend in particular, I would ask him, it was like, oh, like, did this come across as antagonistic? Cause it's, then it's very specific. It's not just like, have you felt, uh, which is a valid question as well. But now I'm able to very specifically break down into like, I th- thought this might have come across a certain way did it and it's like no no that was okay
0: man you got a good friend though
1: yeah oh yeah it's it's critical to have those relationships (laughs) and that that's something that's been kind of good to recognize and uh like you can't just have like that one good friend either too right like you need multiple because like you can't like you can't rely on one person because like maybe they're on vacation or something when something happens to you or like they're going through their own things like you need that larger support network as well where you've got a, a couple people so that you're not exclusively on one person but yeah, yeah no he's he's a great friend and, and <laughs> yeah glad and to have found that and and built that relationship
0: definitely and then when you have more friends in your circle though they have different points of view because they're going to catch things that the other friend won't
1: exactly yep yeah. Yeah. And that's where like, I mean, counseling can only do so much because like he's seeing you one (laughs) for an hour, uh, like once a month. Right. Whereas your friends are seeing you for numerous hours, multiple days a week, and they're seeing you in different social situations as well too. So they get a more nuanced kind of perspective of that. But at the same time, I think they can also become biased in that as well. Right. Where they've like they see you, they have an understanding of you. So then things can, I think, also get missed there if they're not necessarily focusing in on something. Yeah, they might put you in that box
0: and now everything that checks that box, okay, we're going to confirm that, confirm that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, and that, that's something that's like kind of terrifying as well is uh, like kind of encountered the idea of like, if someone's absolutely convinced of something, like anything you do, any, like any of your actions, any of your words... Like, they're only going to fit that into whatever they believe of you. And so they're only going to be confirming those things. And so it's like, 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 how do you, like, there's no way (laughs) to come back from that. And so then that's kind of a little bit of a check for yourself where it's like, it's like, oh man, like, am, am I doing this to other people where I'm like, I'm just looking to confirm certain things. And so I'm not actually asking, like, is this really present or not i'm being like this exists what's the proof yeah and it could be
0: 10 percent of the time but you're gonna zero in on that 10 percent
1: exactly file it away yeah <laughs> and then it it like you said it's a box to check and then it's like okay well now i can discard like this right like i know it's true i i don't need to deal with this uh And so it's like, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, there's a lot of nuances and and difficulty there. And one of the other interesting things, too, is I've very much noticed that uh, when people criticize someone, uh, it's typically reflective on criticisms of themselves. And so I find that very interesting as well, because it's, I mean, it's a little bit of a window into them, potentially, not necessarily always, but then it's also a window into yourself. Because it's like, if you recognize the things that you're criticizing in others, it's like, okay, like, is that something that I don't like in myself? And that's why I'm critical of it in others. Because the reason you're being critical of it is because you're hypersensitive to it in yourself, right? And so if you're hypersensitive in your in yourself, you're going to notice it that much more in someone else when they'll never notice it because it's not on their radar at all. Yeah. So It's
0: sort of let be less judgmental of others so that yeah. you can be less judgmental of yourself
1: yes yeah yeah and it's i mean uh don't necessarily i don't know people appreciate bringing religion into this but i mean that's that's biblical with the whole there's a verse about uh the log and the spec and it's like don't Criticize someone for the speck in their eye when you've got a log poking out of yours. And <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's that's got to be one of the most humorous lines in in the Bible because like you yeah. imagine someone with a two by four sticking out of their face and <laughs> totally. then they're like going up to like it's like oh let me get this this uh, sawdust out of yours like yeah just absolutely ridiculous <laughs> metaphor but it's uh, it's great I love it
0: yeah but however if you think about it, a sliver is kind of the best defense a tree can do to you. Yes. It's the lowest effort for the highest return. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So then what do you do to recharge when you've messed up?
1: I don't know that I necessarily take the criticism hard enough to like really be downed by it right like i guess you could take it personally but it's more it's like if i want to improve if i want to be a better person because there's always there's that mentality of like i want to be a better person than than the one i was yesterday right and so with that mentality it's like yeah i guess criticism sucks in the moment and you're i'm not always going to take it perfectly either um but it's kind of nicer to have that so that you can know about it and improve um so you're looking at it long term then yeah absolutely yeah so i mean that's an interesting question i would like i mean because there's obviously times too where you take something particularly hard um and like how do you come back from that like knowing that it it doesn't necessarily make you irredeemable either right uh that it it makes you just human uh to have like a failing in that as well as like if you know that like just because you have these shortcomings like people aren't like your friend tells you this it's like it's not like oh I'm not gonna be friends with you anymore it's just I want to tell you this because I want to help you be a better person He's too you doing it out of love though exactly yeah because exactly. he could have let
0: you go down that dark path not said a word
1: yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and yeah on oh, and, and it takes bravery and courage to say something like that too right because it's like well if someone doesn't respond well like did you, did you just burn a bridge type thing too right yeah. So, so, how long have you been able to take criticism well? Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that assumes I can currently take it well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, because it's it's very interesting, and I think it's very situationally dependent as well. I think there's times where you, like that, like the antagonistic comment, never bothered me. Never really brought me down but I mean you get other comments from people at at times um particularly people that you're extremely close to that can just absolutely like destroy you right and you gotta recognize if they're saying it to help you or to hurt you yeah yeah absolutely and like I I don't know if there's ever situations you can run into where someone's saying it with the intent of helping you but it, it very much there isn't anything helpful there or it's, it's more hurtful than it is helpful too. Oh yeah.
0: Okay. So you've been willing to face yourself when you get these comments.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that's like, I mean, that was like, I got a particularly uh, like difficult to deal with comment and, um like i i took it and uh like asked other people around me like other close friends uh, it's like 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 do you see this because it's like i i don't i don't know where this is coming from but like do you see this and it's like no no i don't see it at all and so i think that helps as well when you have other people that are able to yeah and you can trust
0: them their opinion as well yeah exactly is that one outlier
1: yeah could have yeah. caught
0: you on a bad day or caught, you could have caught them on a bad day
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, if someone's intent is to hurt you or not necessarily hurt you, but like like you said, you caught them on a bad day and, and it wasn't intentional, but like that's just mentally where they were. And Slim so they're kind of like throwing daggers your way a little bit. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. So how long have you had your engineer friends for then? Well, so that's the interesting thing because I went to like the the school i went to from grades 4 to grade 9 uh it was it was called the Calgary Science School i'm from Calgary it's now called something else but their focus wasn't science they they focused on um inquiry based learning so they wanted people to kind of dig in but obviously they were very like stem focused right so like super high quality people came out of that school um and a lot of those friends uh, like people I know from those school basically all of them went into engineering and and funnily enough like all of us kind of became mechanical engineers so I was more or less with the same group of people from like kind of like and like a stem minded group of people from grades four to nine and then I carried those friends into like high school with me and then a lot of the new friends that I would have picked up would have been, similarly minded like you're in AP classes together so they're also stem minded and So what's the stem minded? What is this? That's kind of where I like I would describe kind of like the engineering mentality, right? Uh so I think there's a, a little bit of a different mindset when it comes to like the sciences and math and engineering where there's like kind of that presenting two different opinions and kind of arguing them rather than like more of, I guess, maybe a humanities mindset where you're exploring an idea together. Uh In STEM, I think it's like, it's encouraged to have different like interpretations or expectations for how something might happen. And then to like evaluate that together. Because in science, it's like you, you present a hypothesis and you kind of, it's interesting you want your hypothesis to get proven wrong because you'll learn more from something going wrong than something going right and so if you're presenting like oh i think this is going to happen but someone else says, i think this is going to happen uh and then you kind of you explore that right and i think that's what i mean by this kind of this like stem mentality so that is, mentality is you're
0: presenting the idea and you're hoping somebody pokes holes in
1: it yeah exactly yeah. yeah you want it to you want it to fail because you'll learn more and you'll be able to improve more by someone kind of failing something then uh or like someone pointing out a flaw and and causing it to fail than you will from uh just getting a thumbs up and kind of moving <laughs> on a pat on the back right <laughs> yeah um so yeah I, I would have been with those friends through grade four through grade nine through high school and then you carry those I carried those same friends into university as well from high school as well and uh, you, oh, you, you're in the same group the whole time
0: <laughs> so what made you decide you wanted to be an engineer
1: you know that's that's a great question and I, it's it's um it's fun because I uh, I wanted to be a marine biologist <laughs>
0: <laughs> so then what happened
1: Well, what happened was, uh, it was grade 11, grade 12, whatever, you're looking at applying to universities. And uh, I started kind of, I guess, digging deeper into marine, like, I loved marine biology, I want to study sharks and and fish. And I loved scuba diving. I love the water. I I still do. Uh, Wanted to be on a boat all the time. And actually, that was a really unique experience. In grade nine, my school would do these uh, field trips. Uh, They do two a year typically, but in grade nine, they did one to um, Bamfield, which is a marine um, science kind of station university on the western side of Vancouver Island. So we went out there and we were there for a week. Uh, It was just an amazing experience because you're in labs with different like sea animals uh like starfish and and all that sort of thing and at nights like i mean you're on the water there so we got to see the bioluminescence they walked us down to the water and like you run your hand through the water and it it turns all different kinds of colors and it's glowing exactly yeah yeah the bioluminescence it was just it was absolutely incredible it was an amazing experience for a week and i mean i loved marine biology before then but that was kind of like like this would be my life type thing (laughs) right and you're 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 thrilled for that and then like I said, kind of uh, grade 11, grade 12, you kind of hit a little bit of reality where I started looking into it. And it's like, well, you can't do anything with a bachelor's in marine biology. You need at least a master's or a PhD. And if you get a master's, you're working under someone with a PhD. And if you get a, a PhD, you're doing your own thing. You're doing research or whatever, right? But there's there, from my kind of looking into it, uh, like you you had to be very high and very far along in the field to have any sort of a role really um and so i was sitting there being like i don't know if i want to put eight years towards this i don't (laughs) know if this is yeah yeah yeah." so it's like because what if i put eight years towards this and i'm it's not for me yeah
0: Uh, (laughs) that'd be a shot in the pants yeah exactly
1: (laughs) and it it was funny because i like i do all these um Like, they have the career quizzes, right? And I do all of those. And every single time, it's like, you should be an engineer. And I'm like, I don't want to be an engineer. Like, don't make me do this. (laughs) And so once I saw the, it was like, I was going to have to get a PhD. Then it's like, okay, well, like, let's look at jobs I'm interested in. And I was huge into mountain biking at the time. And so I'm like, I want to be a mountain bike designer. And I looked at that they were all asking for mechanical engineers or aerospace engineers. And it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to become an engineer then. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I applied for university with the intent of going into mechanical engineering. And in my first year I showed up on campus and, and some of the student clubs were showing off. And that was when I, I got introduced to the, the Baja club. And so first year of university, I joined the Baja club and Like that's, I would say that was the moment when I was like, yeah, this, this was the right decision for me. And, and I just knew, and like the whole, like, I just loved university. I loved being a part of the club. I enjoyed my classes. Um, How did you know what, what clicked so well with it? It was just, I guess the design going through it. And it's, it was such a cool team too, right? Like from the ground up, you're building a a side-by-side and we're, we're doing everything. You're doing the design Um, Oh, from zero. There's a blank room, yeah. You're gonna fill it with a side by side. There's no, there's no frame. You're designing it. Yes. The only thing (laughs) is the engine. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, the competition. Well, so there's a set of rules for us. So there's rules on like how the frame like needs what structural members it needs to have so that the frame is safe enough, right? Because safety is obviously huge in this. So they have rules that you had to adhere for. Um, and there, there's some fun ones in there, like you can't have uh, four wheels in a straight line or something like that. And and the, the the great part of all these rules is if it's in there, someone did it.
0: <laughs> so
1: someone made a car that was a rollerblade. <laughs> inline skates yeah exactly i I enjoy them (laughs) so there's interesting rules like that um
0: (laughs) that's pretty good
1: but it's all done for safety so like like there's rules around what you can do with the frame for safety but they don't they're not handing you a frame design and saying build this it's like it's just hey like you have to have a member that's roughly here and and roughly this strong and whatnot Um, or it has to be braced in this way but then you can kind of sculpt things outside of that how you want it to look and uh, the engine that we're given is just a it was a 10 horsepower Briggs and Stratton engine and so yeah I mean not a whole lot but that being said, I think we got our car up to like 60 kilometers an hour. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're still going fast enough. And the competitions are, are pretty gnarly. Like you're going through rock gardens and uh, like vehicles roll and stuff like that. Uh, and so if your car rolls more than three times in competition like that, that's it. Like you're, yeah, you're disqualified. Uh, and after every time you roll it they have to check the frame make sure that it's still safe to continue and that sort of thing how do they check it uh they have a whole team of technical inspectors so they go through the welds they check that tubes aren't bent or anything like that um like the tech inspection initially is is car wide making sure that like your brakes are good making sure that uh there's enough room for the driver in there that you can egress in time in case of anything going wrong that like basically that everything is is good that there's no like sharp points that uh people can't get entangled in the drivetrain and then yeah when it rolls then then they're predominantly just looking for kind of bent tubes or or damages to the welds or anything like that uh, to make sure that it's still safe (laughs) I gotcha how have you ever rolled one I've never rolled like I've driven the car I never rolled the car personally (laughs) (laughs) um but i mean people on the team would all the time we had uh like um and and i've heard it's quite brutal because like you're strapped in with a a five point harness and so i've heard that when it rolls like you get terrible bruises across like your shoulder blades because like you just kind of slam into the harness
0: um (laughs) oh man what would cause a rollover
1: well, typically, it's coming off of a, a jump or like a drop. Kind of, oh, you guys funny. are jumping. Oh yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So rock gardens jumps. Uh,
0: they they'll have like you said, rock gardens. I envisioned rocks, in yes. a garden. Y-
1: yeah, well, yeah, more or less. Like I mean, it's it's basically like if you have a track, it's like boulders kind of speckled <laughs> all over the the track, right? So it's kind of. <laughs> more or less just a solid path of of various size rocks (laughs) not really a whole lot of dirt in between so then that's very challenging for a vehicle to go through because it's yeah like there's not a lot of traction for you to get in there um because your your wheels are constantly being lifted and you're falling into different pockets so that's it's those are challenging both driver and vehicle because the vehicle has to be capable enough but the driver also has to pick the best line through the, uh, the course as well. Because, I mean, you can, <laughs> if you don't pick the best line, you can just get your vehicle stuck.
0: Yeah. What's this competition called?
1: So it's, we just called it like Baja, but the technical title is like mini Baja and it's done by the uh, Society of Automotive Engineers. Okay. Yeah. So it's, the competitions we would go to were in the States. Um, They do have some, I think like India, Brazil, they've got a few different teams. Um, For these mini Baja competitions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The best competition we went to was they did one in Peoria, Illinois uh and that's where caterpillars headquarters are that's where their proving grounds are so caterpillar uses their toys (laughs) and builds us a track usually we just piggy piggyback off of like a local motocross track and they add some features and whatnot but Caterpillar custom builds us a track and it's the nastiest thing that they could possibly do to us because they, they just take big scoops out of the ground and so like your vehicle just disappears in the ground because like it's, it's... They want to show you what they can do though. Exactly. And, well, and they've got the they tools to, to just to build something. Yeah, they've got <laughs> the tools to build something totally custom. So it's absolutely insane. And that's where they have their rock garden was kind of going up a hill and so like no one makes it through the rock garden like i mean maybe one team did or something like that but like it's basically designed that like it's just whoever gets the furthest because no one's gonna finish it (laughs) it's Uh, when
0: you're going to fail yeah exactly
1: (laughs) (laughs) and they they have one of their uh excavators just sitting by that and so whenever you get stuck they just rope your car to the excavator and just lift it up oh man (laughs) (laughs) they have all the equipment for this yeah exactly it's amazing (laughs) yeah uh so that that's just such a cool track um and like that was i think the first competition i ever went to too so it was kind of hard to come back from that one i mean later on like i was on more of a leadership position so uh and i had more parts on the car versus this one you're kind of there just to experience it um, but it was it was a great experience too because we were uh, I was on uh, they call it Carnage crew. So one of the events, I'll go through all the events of the competition actually. They like we have an acceleration. Uh, there's the uh, like a suspension and maneuver build or uh, they call it suspension and traction, I think. Uh, and that one is typically like where you have like rock gardens and that sort of thing. There's a maneuverability. Uh, and then there's usually a hill climb. Sometimes there's a, a tractor pull uh, as well, or instead of, of um, the hill climb. Um, but I haven't seen one of those. But the creme de la creme is the endurance race, which is a whole day on its own. And that's there's about a hundred cars in this competition. And that's all 100 vehicles on track at the same time for four hours. It's just whoever can get the most laps in. So it's it's a phenomenal experience because uh, it's just absolute mayhem out there. 100? 100. 100 cars, How, yeah. What's the length of the track? It varies. Um, I think Caterpillars might have been like... Uh, i don't know i'd say between one to three miles is probably typically long for a
0: hundred vehicles yeah
1: yeah oh man and this is where it's like if if something so carnage crew is like what i did that race and that means you're basically someone gets stuck something goes wrong you're pulling the car off the track uh or you're getting them started again you're giving them a push whatever uh you're kind of keeping people moving um but that means that if you're on, depending on what part of the track you're on, you can see some very interesting failures. <laughs> uh, and so that's, it's, it's an absolute joy to see that. And I mean, those, those failures are what makes this race exciting. Cause I mean, all a hundred cars are going to be on the track initially, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but eventually something goes South. And so then the car gets towed back to the pits and it's on the team to, like replace whatever they got to replace as fast as they can um if they can like when i was on carnage crew one of the uh one of the shocks of the vehicle like exploded Uh, (laughs) and like i don't think most people carry spare shocks for their vehicle so then that kind of pulls you out of the race unfortunately but if you just destroy like a uh like an a-arm like a suspension member or something like that if you break a tie rod for your steering something simple like that a drive shaft most teams would have replacement parts for that so then it's like how fast can you disassemble it and replace the part and get the vehicle back out there (laughs) make it
0: safe to drive still exactly Uh yeah yeah and 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 were you doing so you were pulling the guys out and then were you repairing too?
1: No, okay. no, I was, I was just on one corner by an obstacle. And so then when people get stuck, you give them a push through or like if their car explodes, <laughs> you're pulling them off the track until they can get a toe back to the pits where their team can repair them. What do you mean explode? So, well, like a, like the one shock, right? Like yep. it, my recollection is that the, the, the shaft of the shock had actually pulled out of the body and so it had kind of like sprung open a little bit, oh, if that makes sense, where it was trying to like kind of it was it was basically pulled apart and trying to like peel open. Yeah. <laughs> so that's I guess that's what I mean by explode, yeah, <laughs> literally yeah. explode or you just whatever. Someone cheers tabs on something or um, I mean, we've had unexciting ones where like your one of your guards goes or something like that, like your guard for your transmission goes. Uh, and then you get a black flag for that and you have to go and repair it because it's your vehicle's no longer safe
0: oh what's a guard for
1: a transmission so we would run a a a cvt a continuously variable transmission and so the guard was more or less just a metal shroud that would go over top of the cvt uh, to keep people's fingers out of it so that no one can get fingers in or or anything like that into into the spinning components right so uh (laughs) it's just to protect people more or less
0: yeah what's the big catastrophe you saw at that corner
1: uh i would say the suspension like the shock is what i remember because i just remember the driver being like what's broken what's broken i'm like the shock man like i don't know that you're coming back from this one (laughs) because he was like wanting to radio to pits it's like oh like whatever like this is broken like we'll we'll replace it and i think like the lower suspension arm was like torn off and i think the tie rod was broken and then i think the shock was also damaged and so that's where i was like like your suspension's gone your tie rod's gone the shock's gone i think that's it (laughs) like i don't think you're coming back yeah (laughs)
0: Yeah. oh man (laughs) so you were saying you did scuba diving
1: i well i've i'm not certified i've only ever done like the discovery dives oh
0: really yeah
1: yeah but those are like absolute blasts i'd recommend them i mean i don't think we went deeper than 40 feet um but i have some very uh fond recollections of some of the those dives that i went on Uh, Like one in in Roatan, Honduras, Uh, we like uh, we took a boat out to a reef and like went down and it was just it was an incredible reef. And like it was just me and the one instructor just kind of like just going around and there's just drop offs and fish. And I think at one point there was a lobster or something that she spotted. Like (laughs) it was just all kinds of cool stuff. And so it's like I'd love to get certified, but it's. I I feel like it's hard to justify when there's no real places to go scuba diving nearby. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the, um, I think you'll appreciate this, uh, it was totally unexpected for me, um, but that dive, when we were coming back from it, the boat couldn't get all the way to shore, so like uh, we were still a distance away, and uh, we're unloading the gear and gonna bring it back to the shop. And, uh, like, she just throws the scuba tank off the, the boat. And you're like, oh, that's, like, that's going to sink. And then it's just there bobbing in the water, floating. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's got so much air, yeah, yeah. compressed air in it that it's buoyant. And it was, it was just one of those things where it's it's a big, heavy metal canister. And you're like, like that's gone. Like, I'm never going to see it again. And then it, there it's bobbing on the surface. And like, float. that was, yeah. Ah, didn't know it that. Was, I didn't either. And it was it was one of those bizarre moments where you're like, that just that's cool but like not what i was expecting
0: (laughs) yeah totally all right man well should we call it yeah sure